This morning, I get to continue a, a series we've been in this summer that we've simply called uh, Summer Rules. And uh, in this series, we've been working our way through the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament. I don't know what your relationship is with the Ten Commandments, if you've grown up around the church, if you've just maybe heard rumors about them. But um, man, these Ten Commandments are a, a set of rules that God gave to his people. Uh, his people, the Israelites, were in captivity for about 400 years in the nation of Egypt. God said enough of that. He set them free, unshackled them, and then sent them towards a promised land. And in order to prepare them to live life full of freedom, he gave them these 10 rules, these 10 rules for Freedom. If y'all want to know what it means and looks like to live in freedom, then you're going to want to stay along this path within these guardrails. I grew up believing the Ten Commandments were restrictive because God hated fun and enjoyment and joy, and so he was trying to make life as miserable. But no, this was a list of rules that God gave for his people to more fully enjoy uh, the freedom that he had rescued them for. And um, man, if you have a copy of the Bible, I would invite you to meet me in Exodus chapter 20. And we are going to get to work because we have a little bit of work uh, to do. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, you are going to see the verses appear up here on the screen and you can follow along that way. We are going to get right to it uh, by jumping into commandment number Six. Commandment number six. And commandment number six is very, very simple. It's found in verse number 13. And uh, here is what it says. Ready? Thank you. Um, you shall not murder. You shall not murder. That's it. Blink and you miss it. Uh, to this point, the shortest commandment by far. If you want to live on this path of freedom and fullness, do not murder people. Uh, murder. Uh, the word murder, and we'll put these definitions up on the screen so you can um, get a hold of them that way as well. Murder means to deliberately take or take out another human life. Murder. It means to deliberately end another human life. Murder. It means to deliberately cause another human life to permanently stop breathing. Murder. God says, I love y'all. I am your God and I have set you free from slavery. And if you want to live on this path of freedom for which I delivered you, then here is rule number six. Do not deliberately take or take out another human life. Do not deliberately end another human life. The end. And then God moves on to adultery. No explanation on this, that there are no disclaimers on this, there are no layers to this, there are no threats to this, there are no promises associated with this. Just simple, straightforward. Do not take or take out another human life. Now, when the Israelites heard this, they would have immediately understood and embraced this command and would have been ready to move right on. They had come out of a brutal context in which they had seen life very trivially uh, treated. Um, no one needed to explain to the Israelites that this was not okay. Um, and I'm telling you that in the context in which this commandment is found, it's means exactly what it sounds like it means, right? So for us, if you lived from this point for the rest of your life and you never took or took out another human life deliberately, you would be living the letter of this law. If you are driving somewhere and you're in a rush and somebody cuts you off in traffic and the road rage in you just flares up and you opt not to take that person's life, good job. 
you are obeying this command, right? When you see your ex looking a little too happy and you're like, I'm not happy, you're not happy, but you don't eliminate them, well done. Well, I'm just trying to encourage some of you in case you wanted, am I ever going to obey anything God says? You're doing pretty well if that's you for the rest of your life. The question though is why? When the Israelites heard this command, they would have understood not just what it meant, but they would also have understood why this command was given. They would have understood enough of the stories from their grandparents to know why God would command this. And the things they would have understood, two primary things. The first we'll just refer to as the principle of value. The principle of value. The Israelites would have understood the inherent value of human life. Grandma and grandpapa would have taught them the story of creation, the creation account that we find in Genesis chapter 1. And in that story, it said that God was, for five days, creating the universe and everything in it. And God did it in epic style, by the way. He created everything by simply speaking the words, and whatever he said became the reality he spoke. And so he created the stars and the sun and the, 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 the galaxies, and uh, he created animals, and he created seas, and, and all of the things that are in the world. But all of that was leading up to the sixth day when he, God, would create the crown jewel of his creation, his masterpiece, the human being. Look at this, Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 26, it records this um, account. Then God said, let us make mankind, humanity, in our image, in our likeness, so that they, humanity, may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind, here it is, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And then, by the way, in the next chapter, it gives us a little glimpse into how exactly God did this, and it was absolutely unbelievable. It describes God as for the first time in eternity getting up from his throne and taking a trip to the Milky Way galaxy, the third planet from the sun. And he got his hands in the dirt of the ground that he had created, and he started playing with mud, and out of the mud he shaped a human frame and when he had shaped the human frame he breathed life into the lungs of the first human being and that cat Adam came to life rushing to life unlike anything else God had created to this point human beings bore the fingerprints of God and carried the breath of God in their souls. And like any other created thing, human beings bear the image of God. And as such, and the Israelites would have understood this, human beings carry an intrinsic and an immeasurable value to God. There is no created thing as valuable as you. Outside of God himself, there is nothing more valuable than you. The human being, not the angels, not the constellations, not the mountains, not the seas, not the mountains under the seas, nothing, because only the human being is made out of God's stuff and carries the DNA of God in our very souls. So valuable, by the way, that God was willing to sacrifice his own son in order to save our lives. The Israelites would have understood the principle of 
value. And by the way, some of you need to hear this because either you've forgotten or the lies have screamed way too loud or maybe you've never heard it before. You are priceless. I'll just let that hover. You are more priceless than you could ever imagine. You are worth more than the galaxies to God. And it's not because of what you look like to me. It's not because of what you've accomplished in your life. It's not because of your track record of good behavior. It is because you bear the fingerprints of God and his image is inscribed on your soul. It's not because of what you believe, not because of your marital status, not because of the color of your skin, not because of your political affiliation, none of that, but because the image of God is in you. You are priceless. Oh, and before we move on, some of you need to hear, you are priceless and so are they. They who? Every single other human being who has ever lived and will ever live is immeasurably and intrinsically priceless to God. Because he's the one who shaped and breathed life into them. Not because of what they did, not because of their legal record, nope. Not because of how they vote, not because of what they contribute to society not because of what country they were born in, not because of their relationship to you. They are valuable because God shaped them and marked them with his own image. The person next to you and the person on the other side of the aisle and the person on the other side of the ocean carry intrinsic and immeasurable value just like you. No less than you and no more than you because they bear no more of the mark of God than you and no less of the mark of God than you. The Israelites would have understood this rule in light of the priceless value of the human life to God. You do not take or take out a human life because it is immeasurably valuable to the God who made it and marked it with infinite value. Who in the world are you to snuff out something that priceless to the God of the universe? You didn't make it, you don't get to take it. Who in the world are you to determine that a life immeasurably valuable to God is, you know, yours to end? You didn't give it its value. Its value is not relative to you. It's not yours to decide. And so you never get to devalue something you never gave value in the first place. To murder is to make a defiant declaration devaluing what is invaluable to God. God, I appreciate what you've done. I appreciate what you've said. And I know how valuable it is to you, but in this moment, under these particular circumstances, in light of what this person has done to me, I beg to differ. I disagree with you. I am going to lower their value and I'm going to take them out. And the Israelites would understand you don't get to do that. That's not up to you. We've just come out of 400 years of seeing life disregarded and devalued. And they would have understood this in light of the value of humanity. They would have also understood not just the, the, the principle of value, they would have understood the principle of community. Um, the principle of community. They would have understood this command um, socially. You do not take or take out another human life. Why? Because you don't want to live in a society in which individuals can decide to take out your mom's life. 
What kind of promised land, a land of freedom, would it be if people can just personally decide, well, under these circumstances, your kid's life is no longer valuable, and I'm going to take it out. No, 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 I had really good reason, because your kid was just, I'm just saying, if you understood the reasons, right, you don't want to live in a world in which an individual can make that determination and devalue your sister's life like that. So for the sake of the community, do unto others as you'd have them do unto your mother. Value life the way you would hope that human lives would value your kid's life under the exact same set of circumstances. Whatever situation you'd be like, well, in this situation, great. How would you want them to treat your kid in that situation? And let's help create the kind of world that we would want to live in. So, a couple of questions arise immediately. And the first one, does this command still apply to us today? Well, that depends. Is the human life still immeasurably valuable to God because he made it and marked it? If so, yes. Also, do you want to live in a world in which your life is treated as immeasurably valuable? If so, then yes, help to create that kind of world. Don't deliberately take or take out a human life because you don't want your sisters taken out like that. If you have any interest in freedom and joy and fullness by God's design, if you have any interest in honoring God, do not deliberately take or take out a human life. But let's be honest. This is America, y'all. And as such, there is a second significant and very sad question to ask. And the question is, well, under what conditions does this rule still apply? And I'm saying this is a very sad question to be asking because I know my own heart and I just know the way the church tends to think. And we will hear a command like this and our hearts will gravitate towards a question that is asking for the exceptions. Um, yeah, but in what situation can I though? And I'm just telling you, that is a heartbreaking question revealing broken hearts. Because my response to the word of God should never be, tell me the exception. My response to the word of God should always be, Spirit, help me to be exceptional in this matter. Jesus' people should Never start with exceptions. We should always start with a longing to live fully. God, how can I give you my best? Not God, how can I get away with the most? But this is a question that will arise. Under what conditions does this commandment apply? And I want to just say, y'all, we've been praying for today. Um, just realizing the heaviness and the weightiness of some of the implications of this conversation. And I cannot plead with you and invite you more passionately to humbly and honestly wrestle through the implications of this with the ultimate desire to ask God, how do we live in a way that honors your heart and keeps us on a path of freedom. Humility that says, I know what I think and how strongly I believe what I believe and how long I've held to what I've held to, but may I be humbly willing to say, God, if your word is revealing something else, may I be willing to consider that. And that's the posture I pray that we enter into this conversation with. 
Under what conditions does this commandment apply? And I want to humbly suggest that in light of Exodus chapter 20, this command applies in every single situation that involves a human life. Unless God makes the exception. Do not take or take out another human life applies in every single circumstance that involves a human life unless God makes the exception. And I hope that makes sense. If God made the rule in the first place, only God should be able to make the exception. And I'm telling you, I'm like, okay, God, I don't know that I like that. I don't know how okay I feel with that. No human being can decide when this rule doesn't apply. You didn't make life. You didn't mark life. You didn't make this rule. There only can be one who can make the exception for when this applies. It's God's prerogative. And just think about how dangerous and presumptuous it would be to make an exception about this and be wrong. I think wisdom itself would demand if I ever even were considering an exception to this rule, I would want at least 50 layers of confirmation before I would veer from something God has explicitly and simply said in light of the value that God has instilled. And I'm just asking us to humbly, honestly process that. If you can think of an exception to this command for you, you'd better be able to back it up with something God has said to you. And some of y'all won't like this. I'm not talking about the government, what the government has said. I'm not talking about what your friends have said. I'm not talking about what your political party has said. They didn't come up with this law, nor did they create and craft life. Um, let me also say, by the way, this is a personal command. The sixth command um, is, a, is a personal command. Command. This is not about the government. This is not about the military. This is not about law enforcement. This is not about community leaders. Nope. Um, those people are put in charge of caring for and protecting entire societies, entire communities. And in fact, they're put in charge of protecting entire communities from individuals who think it's okay to make exceptions about rules like this. So I'm not talking about the governing bodies. That's their stuff, and that stuff is messy and complicated, y'all. I don't want to sit in the room and talk about capital punishment. This is about you as an individual and me as an individual. Do not take or take out another human life unless God has somehow said otherwise to you. Did I mention I'm inviting us to humbly and honestly wrestle with this? Under what conditions does this commandment apply? All of them, unless God has made an exception. And if our posture starts with a question, whoa, 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 but tell me what the exception is for me. I want to know. When can I get away with it? That will push us so far away from living out the heart of this command. Isn't that what Jesus teaches? Yes, it is. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago at the base of a burning mountain, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Like, 
wait, what? How did you get there? Jesus is making a beautiful point. Human life is intrinsically and immeasurably valuable. Treat it that way in every way. To not take out a human life, that is the furthest extreme of treating a human life with value. That is the furthest extreme. I should not ever start the conversation there. I should not be thinking about exceptions at the end of the road. Jesus says, y'all shouldn't even be talking about that. I'm going to raise the level and talk about treating human life with incredible value in every way. You should not be contemplating taking out a valuable life. And Jesus says, you should be considering whether or not you are even taking down the value of a life in your mind. How? Jesus says, well, if you even start to foster and fuel feelings of frustration towards somebody, watch out. If you let feelings of frustration towards somebody start to linger in your heart, Jesus says, watch out. If there's anyone you look at or think about and your reaction is, ugh, Jesus says, watch out. Why? You may not have taken them out of the world, but you are starting to take them down in value and you're starting to take them out of your world. You are starting to treat them like their value is a little less. If not in general, at least to you. You are starting to make pronouncements about their value. Start to want a little less and a little more less, lesser, right? This is his point. You're going to start to want less and less for them. And before long, you're going to start to want less and less of them. And that diminishes them in your heart and starts to diminish them in your world. It starts to dim them. It starts to make them a little bit smaller. And Jesus says that falls in the same family as murder. Better yet, th that puts you on the same path as murder. See, because the sixth commandment focuses on the act of Murder, And Jesus steps in and he raises the bar and he says, don't even walk along the avenue of murder. You should be so committed to treating life like it matters that you don't even step on the avenue that starts to move towards the act of murder, even if you may never commit that act. And anytime I deliberately do anything that diminishes the value of another human life, when I, I, you know, I hold resentment or bitterness, or I nurse a grudge or nurse anger towards someone, I am starting diminishing their value. I'm not speaking to him. I don't want to see her. Don't mention their name in my presence. Mm -mm, I want nothing to do with them. And before long, I hope something a little bit unpleasant happens to them. Why? Because after what they did, their value has diminished in my world. I want nothing to do with them. And I hope some terrible things start to happen to them. They deserve a little bit of pain. And Jesus is saying, that's what happens when I start to even harbor frustration or anger in my heart towards somebody. It moves me down a path and it moves them down in value. And yet, man, 
Who determines the value of a life? God does. Not their crime against me, not their crime against society, not the betrayal of me, not their threat level to me. That's not what determines their value. And then Jesus even goes further in this, if you continue to read this passage, and Jesus says, and oh, also love your enemy. Like, wait, what? Why? Um, because the enmity with you is not what gives them or determines their value. Their value is God's view of them. It's such a fascinating and difficult teaching. My enmity with someone has no ability to determine their value to God. And so Jesus says, you love your enemy because they matter to God. They are no less valuable just because y'all are beefing. Plus, you don't want to live in a world in which someone can take you out because they determine you're an enemy to them. Anyway, Jesus is saying, don't even start to foster feelings that diminish human value in your mind. Because this puts you on an avenue heading towards the act, even if you never commit the act. Again, some questions that when we read this command should stir in our heart are questions like this. Am I harboring any bitterness towards anyone? Man, that may not make you a murderer, but it does make you murderous according to Jesus. It puts you on the murder avenue. Man, I had a very painful conversation with my wife recently in which we were just having a real conversation. She asked me, like, have you committed adultery? And I said, no, but I have been adulterous. I have stepped on the avenue. And Jesus would say, I want to heal all of that. Y'all get so obsessed with the one act at the end of the road, and you even start to ask questions about, is it okay? Can I make an exception, and how much can I get away with it? And Jesus is like, I want to heal the road. I want to heal the path. I want to heal the avenue. And that is true even in this context. We should be asking questions like, is there anyone I'm refusing to forgive, right? Someone has wronged me and that made them less deserving of my love, which veers from the heart of Jesus, by the way. And that's not what I would want for my kids, by the way. I would hope that if my kid wronged somebody, that somebody would forgive my kid for what they did. I'm not talking about becoming BFFs again. I'm not talking about trusting the person and the person's now in your inner circle again. It's about how I treat them in my heart and if I still long for things to happen to them that are less than life. Is there anyone I'm refusing to forgive? And if I am, I am on this avenue connected to the sixth commandment. Do I have any discrimination towards anyone? Is there anyone I've allowed myself to view as a little less valuable or worthy of good than other people? Is there a category of people that you're like, they're over here, and then, because you can't discriminate somebody unless you've devalued them. Whether it's because of the skin color or their political affiliation or nation of origin or, or their religion, and I'm telling you, we're becoming more and more comfortable in the church talking about those people, right? And diminishing their value even in the way we speak because their value has now become tied to their agreement with us. No, it is the mark of the God who made them that gives them their value. Is there anyone I accept as an enemy? I need to ask these questions. Are there people I view as enemies? Because you know what enemies are for, and they are to be defeated. Enemies are to be taken out. And I think Jesus would encourage us, stay off the avenue of murder. Like, don't even allow yourself to view someone as an enemy because um, you're going to have to love them anyway. 
But this becomes dangerous, especially the language in our culture. The media is the enemy. No, America is the enemy, we'll say certain nations, right? No, the police are the enemy. Nope, the Republicans are the enemy. Nope, the Democrats are, are the enemy. No, it's the privileged who are the enemy. And the minute we start to do that, we start to diminish those categories of people. And before long, it becomes okay. If we heard something in the news terribly happened to them, we would be like, mm-hmm. And Jesus would say, that is not the way of my people, and that is not the heart of this command. Is there anywhere in my heart where I've set foot on the avenue of murder? Jesus wants to meet me there. Jesus wants to heal me there, if we are willing to acknowledge it and bring it to him. All right, so conclusion. Three statements. Do not deliberately take or take out a human life. It's immeasurably valuable to God. Number two, do not deliberately make any exception to that rule unless God has made the exception. Exceptions are God's to make. Number three, do not deliberately diminish the value of any human being. Not even in your heart, not in your mind, not in the way your kids hear you talk about those people at home. Don't do it. Now, I know that there are a million questions we have not asked or answered about this topic, and I'm not going to ask or answer most of them. Um, and part of that is I'd love for us to, to wrestle honestly, um, even throughout the week, um, I, we've not decided yet, like, man, should we do like some kind of a midweek podcast? I don't know, a follow-up of some sort that's more discussion-oriented, and we, we're not sure. We may, we may not. Um, what I will do is I'm going to give you two principles that govern the way I want to live on this issue. Um, and when I say principles, I mean what I think I should do. I'm not talking about what I feel like I should do. I'm not even saying what I would do if somebody put hands on my wife. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying what I believe I should do based on the word of God and based on the example of Jesus. Um, I'm not talking about what the government tells me I can do legally, no. I'm talking about what I believe God calls me to do because my first allegiance, my kingdom is heaven. Two things. Number one, treat human life with value. I think that the desire in us should be, how can I be a champion for life? God, help me to remove obstacles that stand in the way of people feeling and seeing their worth and their value to you and help me to remove obstacles that are keeping people from experiencing life most fully, just like you, Jesus, did with me. Help me to be a champion for life in the way I treat people, in the way I talk about people. Instead of wondering about exceptions, help me to think about the people in my world and how can I be a champion. Help me to fight bitterness. Help me to fight discrimination. Help me to bring those areas of brokenness in my heart to, to you. Help me to fight anything that thinks of or looks at people as less valuable than other people or less valuable than me based on arbitrary measures that are not your value for them. Help me to treat life with value. And the second one, and this is the most scary principle, and it will shake some of you like it shakes me up, but I can't get around it. Trust God with life. Even saying that, I feel like, ah. Trust. Hey, trust God. As followers of Jesus, it's who we are. It's what we do. We are called to trust him with the entirety of our lives. And this is just an invitation to we'll trust God with human life. Trust God with 
life. Life is not mine to give. Life is not mine to take. I have to trust God with life. And if God is powerful enough to bring human life into existence, can I trust that God is powerful enough to protect human life? If God values life more than I could ever value life, can I trust God to step in and treat life as valuable in moments when I might be tempted to believe it's now up to me? The answer to that is, I don't know. But it's what I believe the Bible would call us to. Jesus was regularly under attack and he entrusted his life, as it says, to the God who makes just decisions. Jesus did that. You remember the scenario, Peter comes and he, he's packing a sword, pulls that sucker out of wherever he had it when Jesus was being attacked by his ambushers and Peter strikes a guy on the ear and Jesus turns to Peter and said, that is not how we do things, huh? And he says to Peter, don't you know don't you believe, don't you trust that God could dispatch angels to deal with this situation if he so chose? As for you, put that thing away. That's not how we do things in the kingdom. When Jesus speaks about enemies, Jesus says, don't resist an evil person who attacks you. Whoa, <laughs> we, Jesus, we've got, let's recontextualize that. What's he saying? Trust God with life. Mm, 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 mm. I'm not telling you how I feel. I'm not telling you what I think. I'm saying what Jesus seems to teach and exemplify when it comes to these situations. Trust God with your life. And ultimately on the cross, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Trust God with life, your life and theirs. Because I can't be the person who is deciding whose life is more valuable at any point in time, especially in a crisis. God, please help. And when we talk about and we wrestle through the heaviness of this topic and the different exceptions, that's what we're wrestling through. What about if I'm put in a situation where I have to be the determiner of which life is more valuable to God? Shouldn't I have some rights to decide? I'm saying fine, but be sure that God has given you the right to make that exception. And it seems like the invitation will be trust God with life. This is brutal. So many hard questions. And I've wrestled through, like, do we, do, I mean, do we talk about it? Do we not talk about it? Do we, you know, we, we've never shied away from difficult conversations. I, I trust you know that if you've been a part of Mission Point for uh, a while. But this is hard. What does it look like to trust God with life? Like, that's tough. Someone has done something unspeakable, and if it's up to me to make the recommendation, should they pay with their life if it's up to me? I'm not talking about what the government does. The government has their... I'm talking about me as an individual. I'm like, oh, I don't, <laughs> I don't know, because I remember one time when this woman was caught in, a, in, in, in an act and she was brought to Jesus and it, capital punishment was on the table because the, the law said so. And everyone had picked up their rocks and Jesus said, well, technically speaking, all of y'all should die. So whoever hasn't committed a crime against the empire of heaven, throw the first stone. Everyone left. So how do I trust him in a moment? Ah! This is messy, y'all. You talk about war, it gets messier. Sometimes in the Bible, God's people would go in into a war and they would annihilate men, women, and children, and God would be the one who sanctioned it. How do you, how do you wrestle with that? 
here's what I know. God is the author of life, and he's the only one who has the prerogative to make a decision like that. I don't know if you knew this, but in the Old Testament, if a king decided, I'm just going to go to war because I feel like going to war, God would be like, it's, you don't do that. I decide whether or not you go to war. You trust me with that decision. Well, but they're coming. You still ask me and you wait. But they were getting close. You still ask me. Well, what are we going to do? It's like play some trumpet. And the enemy was defeated. You don't know. I don't know. It's messy, y'all. When the doctor says, mom has three months to live, there is nothing we can do. But y'all need to know that the next three months will be the most excruciating experience ever. None of us who love somebody would ever want to see them experience that. So do I now have the right to expedite that? What does it look like to trust God with life? In a situation like that, I'm struggling so much and I don't feel my worth. I don't feel my value. I don't feel like my life belongs in this world. Does that therefore give me the right to make a decision about my own life? That's brutal, y'all. These are painful conversations. I pray that we would not so quickly just dismiss them or move along or be like, I know exactly, but to wrestle through what does it look like to trust God um, in that because i have people i know who would say well if that little life gets in the way of my ambitions or my goals it's a threat to my life or my way of life so does that then give me the right to determine its value and eliminate it These are heavy things, and I pray we would not shy away from stepping in and wrestling honestly and humbly with what this means. What does it look like to trust God when the doctor says, if you carry this baby to term, there is a possibility, high possibility, both of your lives will be put in danger. What does it look like in a situation like that? I, listen, I pray that we will wrestle very, very honestly. And by the way, I pray for the grace of God. For those of you who've sat in these painful spaces, I pray the Spirit will just bring healing and covering and grace in what it looks like to move forward. That we wouldn't bury our heads in the sand and not have these difficult conversations, but that would bring the stuff into the light and say, God, would you please give us your grace in this? Would you, would you please teach us what it looks like to walk towards being champions for life? And I know the biggest one, trust me, I know the biggest one in this room is always the question about, well, what if somebody's threatening my life or the life of people that I love, and can I then surely? I'm like, just, even then, what has God said to you? And man, this is why I should just close and move on. Um, but it is, it's tricky. And you see the inconsistency in the church where some of the same people who will look at that hurting mama and say, you trust God and you don't mess with that. will say, but if somebody comes into my house, mm, I'm not trusting God, I'm messing with that. And I'm just saying, be consistent. What does it look like to trust God in the mess of all of this and to believe he values life more than you value life and he loves your family more than you love your family and he's able to bring life into the world and is able to take life. I wonder what the invitation God would bring to the church to trust him afresh even in the scariest moments and the reason we want exceptions is because these are the scariest, most painful situations that we could possibly imagine. How do I raise and raise up the value of life? How do I become a champion of life? How can I treat every person with the immeasurable value they carry? How can I be the reason someone's life feels a little more valuable? How can I trust God 
with life? What does that look like? And I pray we'll wrestle through this. We are going to um, end by sharing in communion together. And what a beautiful reminder about how valuable your life is to God. That he would send his son to die to see your life thrive. And man, as we um, eat of this very delicious wafer, uh, I pray this will be such a powerful reminder of the act of Jesus to lay his life down to see your life thrive. What an amazing act of grace. And if you believe that Jesus laid his life down to see your life thrive, then even as we eat of this wafer, we have Sundays after for the real taste, but even as we eat of this wafer, I just would invite us to make the declaration, your body was broken for me. Let's say that together. Your body was broken for me. Let's eat. Thank you, Jesus, for valuing our lives by your grace. And even as we drink of this cup that represents the blood of Jesus, what a reminder there is nothing you have done that his blood cannot cleanse. There is no decision you have made about life or about bitterness or about grudges in your past that Jesus isn't more than happy to completely cleanse, forgive, give you a fresh start and see your life thrive in freedom. His blood is so good, y'all. If you're sitting with any amount of shame or any amount of struggle, his blood is powerful. If you're wondering about the value of your life or decisions in the future, his blood is powerful in what it covers and what it offers. And so I don't know where you are in this, but even as we take this cup, let's declare out loud, your blood was shed for me. Let's say that together, your blood was shed for me. Jesus, I praise you for who you are, and I thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the example you set. I thank you, Spirit of God, for the way that you are calling us to trust you with everything. Help us to wrestle honestly with what that looks like in areas where we believe no matters are still in our own hands when you've explicitly said certain things to us. Help us to love your word. Help us to love your voice. Help us to want to honor what it is that you call us to. Lord, I pray for anyone in the room that's struggling, that even now they would feel your grace and your forgiveness. And I pray that you'd raise up a faith to trust you like many of the saints around the world in other places have had to learn to trust you. So do an amazing work in us. Help us to be champions for life in our community, showing and sharing the love of Jesus with every life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.